0: Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing Podcast, where
1: we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer.
0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Gianna Whitfer, here with my...
1: How, what, what's, what adjectives should we use today? Oh, gosh. I think we've heard all the adjectives. I think everybody already knows I'm the awesome co-host, Maria Velasquez. And today we have an
0: equally awesome guest. We
1: have Jordi
0: Carswell, Chief Marketing Officer of Actual Tech Media. Thank you so much for being on, Jordi.
2: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah. And tell us before we get into our topic and our discussion today, which will be fun because we have three demand gen marketers and we're going to do a lead gen jam. Before we get into that, tell us what is Actual Tech Media? What do you guys do?
2: Yeah. So, for about 10 years, Actual Tech's done lead gen and content creation for the enterprise tech space. So, everything from cybersecurity down to cloud to DevOps to a number of different niches beyond that, but our specialty is in using webinars for lead generation, but we also do all kinds of other sources like appointment setting, content syndication, a ton of different mechanisms, whatever it takes to, to get lead gen done.
0: And I think one of the things that we're doing together, because you are sponsoring and speaking at Cyber Marketing Con this year, and I'm so excited to meet you for the first time in person in Austin in December, one of the other things that you do is surveys. And we're doing a joint survey on buying behaviors of cybersecurity buyers. So tell us a little bit more about the surveys you do.
2: Yeah, for sure. It's going to be exciting. I think we've got an audience of US-based cybersecurity and InfoSec professionals And we thought it would be cool to go out to them and ask them a number of questions about all the different buckets of cybersecurity and where they stand, what their plans are, what their needs are, what their concerns are. But also talk about who it is in their organization that is involved in buying decisions, how their purchase cycles work, how they evaluate vendors, all of these different things that I think will be useful for the members and uh, should put together an interesting presentation in Austin.
0: We can't wait for that. That's going to be really exciting. That's the juicy stuff that is always what I wanna know. Like, how do you buy? Like, how big is your team? Like, what do you care about? So that I can figure out a way to fit my product into those priorities. So that'll be really cool.
1: Hi there, my name is Sean Madsen and I head up digital strategy at Checkpoint Software. We use Hushly as our primary demand platform. We use it to remove gates, we use it for our landing pages and we use it for our resource hub and it has improved our conversion rate by 5X shorty among the services, obviously, and your products that you offer cybersecurity vendors, what have you seen in terms of trends across a lot of the budget changes in the last year, two years, I want to say? I mean, things have been a little bit crazy and hectic in our industry. And a lot of us marketers have been asked to pull back on spend and make that tough decision of which channels and what actually gets cut. And or being just a little bit more wise with spending, what are you seeing on your end? What are the biggest changes?
2: Yeah, so we work with around 250 or so vendor clients. And so we see a a large spectrum of who's doing what, what's working and where people are spending. And I think the number one thing is people are much, much more closely evaluating ROI. So they're looking at, you know, did we get how much pipeline was created from a particular endeavor? It used to be pre-COVID, It was all about how many MQLs could we drive. And now it's all about how much pipeline was generated that can be attributed back to marketing. And of course, that's always a fun exercise to try and make sure everybody gets credit for their efforts. But that's been the big thing. And going into COVID, we were competing in in our industry with with online events and, and webinars and so forth for lead gen. We were competing with the budgets that went to trade shows. But then, of course, that all shifted online. We were in the right place at the right time already having tremendous expertise in online events and now we're seeing that split again. So people are going back to allocating budget to trade shows although not at the same scale. Definitely not.
0: I think this is an awesome segue into our conversation topic which is lead gen cuz like you just said, you know, in the past it was all MQLs, MQLs, MQLs which to me is like nebulous in a way cuz what is an MQL it like Maria's nodding her head. Maria, what is an MQL?
1: <laughs> MQL in one word.
0: Yeah, one word. Actually, let's make it hard.
1: Okay, distraction.
2: Oh, Ooh, controversial. All right. Oh,
1: that was yeah. That's that's pretty spicy. <laughs> yeah, it is. And so is attribution. Well, we can get into Whoa! that.
0: Oh.
2: <laughs> yep.
0: Knife in the gut to everyone. <laughs> it was like on the tail end of their two-year operations
1: project, right? Oh, she's laughing pretty hard. Yeah. What say you, Jordy, about those two things?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I think there's a place for both, right? I mean, if it depends on the size of your team. If you have a team sitting there that has the ability to follow up on, and, and by team I mean you know a sales organization that's big enough to follow up on a ton of volume, then there's a place for that. They will need, they're going to need something to do. I think a lot of sales teams are overstaffed when it comes, especially on the BDR side where they're waiting for something. And then it seems like they're either overstaffed or understaffed. There doesn't seem to be a right sizing of BDR teams for, or sales organizations from what we see. But yeah, so I think there's a place like if, and it depends how you're measured, right? If you're in an organization that's a little bit old, more old school, and they still look at measuring you as a marketer based on what you're able to deliver in MQLs this month or this quarter, then you're going to perform to where you're measured because that's how you keep your job. And I think, you know, but we're seeing that shift. There's very few of those organizations who are at least not doing some kind of a blended model where it has to be, you know, a certain number of MQLs and we expect pipeline from those NQLs. And so that doubles the pressure, right? in terms of trying to get quantity and quality at the same time, which we all know can be extremely difficult.
1: That's so true. You you mentioned quality, and you also mentioned balance. And I think that that's where you find that balance in not giving too much to SDRs, but giving enough. I think if you actually do hand over good quality leads, then that volume will be pretty balanced. So yeah, I, I agree with that.
0: But like, but how, how do you know what's quality? And then also, right, here's here's my thing. And I'm talking about like the broader like anti lead gen sentiment that's like all over the place, right? Like there's a lot of talking heads on LinkedIn who are saying, lead gen sucks, everything lead gen sucks. And in one way, I agree with that. Of course, like, okay, we got emails. like, and they saw like one webinar or downloaded one ebook. like, who cares, right? They didn't even, They didn't even watch. They were doing their laundry, you know, at the time. And they just had something on in the background. But at the same time, we're still doing webinars. Like all of us collectively, we're still doing webinars. We're still doing lead gen activities. People still are producing eBooks. People are still doing Gartner reports. So is, and I'm taking it like a devil's advocate position here, but is there a way to do lead gen or quote unquote lead gen in a way where it fits inside of demand gen and is part of a bigger thing? Like maybe there's just a way to do it better. And everyone's so hooked on what you just said, Jordy, the old school model of we get like, you know, MQLs because they watched our thing and we hand them over to sales. Like what's the next, what's the evolution of this basically? Oh, I felt like a I talking think- head there.
2: <laughs> that was good. That was good.
1: Yeah, we were both um, nodding I- like, yes, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is not bad. Like have- we got this.
2: <laughs> okay, so I think about this, from the perspective of engaged or not engaged. So yeah. what, when we think about the people, I don't care whether they came in, where, where they came into the quote unquote funnel. I think what I'm interested in is where they paying attention. So we know for instance, with webinars, right? You have those who are attending and those who are engaged during a webinar. You have those who just registered and were no shows and will watch later that the difference, like let's say you, You know, you complete a webinar. You're looking at the registration report, and you have those who attended live. Those people are far more valuable. The especially the ones that answered poll questions, the ones that showed they asked a question during the Q and A, the ones who raised their hand to say that they would like a demo, that they would like more information, that they would like, uh, you know, one sheet, whatever. Those people, where does that fall? Are they in the demand bucket yet? I don't know, but we're going to follow up with them. That's for sure, provided that they fit the. ICP of who we're trying to to get to. So I think obviously we're a little biased with webinars because we run hundreds of them a year and we see them work month after month. But I think that engagement piece is really hard to come by. And like you talked about white papers, eBooks, things like that. You don't know whether they read it or not, right? You don't Mm -hmm. know, you can tell, okay, so they submit the form. The form comes back you know, you send out an autoresponder with the link, you can tell whether or not they click through to the asset, but then the traffic drops off and goes nowhere. And so you have no idea, did they read it or not read it? Chances are they were on the Well, nobody phone. read it's, it.
0: Nobody yeah, ever reads it. <laughs>
2: it's tough. <laughs> it, it's tough, right? It's it's why you go, you know, you talk to some content syndication vendors and you're like, I'd like to use an online landing page rather than a PDF to track, you know, so we can find out what the... the engagement is on the and they're like, no, won't do it. Right. It's because they know that you know a lot of people aren't aren't reading when they get to that point.
1: That is true. A fun fact from a marketing ops perspective, if you do house your gated assets, PDFs in your marketing automation platform. You can track how many times it's been accessed and downloaded. In fact, you can actually assign a lead score to it, and that continues to add to that engagement score and give you an indication on whether, you know, the person is reading. I mean, whether they read the entire thing, I don't know, but how many times <laughs> they've accessed it. How many times it clicked? <laughs> <laughs> it shows a little bit of, you know, intent, I guess, in the subject or topic.
2: Yeah, provided they're not outsourcing it.
1: Exactly if you're outsourcing <laughs> it, you
2: don't have them in your CRM, right? And so you're right. not gonna know that.
0: Right. Correct. That's funny if they were outsourcing. It'd be funny if you were outsourcing your ebooks, your ebook reading to other people. Like you're you know, like
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I say I said this to to a couple people about how tough it is being a cybersecurity marketer. I have read, I don't know where I read this, but there was an article where the CISO said, I have rules on my inbox that pick up any email that has ebook or white paper in the subject line or even in the body. And it puts them into this folder, never to be. (laughs) (laughs) The ether. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Exactly.
0: You need to say, here's your pamphlet. Here's your, here's your, here's your digest. (laughs) Maria, I noticed, so you said engagement score, right? So tell us a little bit more about that. How are you using webinars and like tracking and, and, and contributing webinars and lead gen to, with like engagement score? Like, what are you doing? How do you kind of process that?
1: Yeah. 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 So we, we scored registered didn't show up and then registered and attended differently. Mm -hmm. We do actually hand over attendees to SDRs for follow-up right after a webinar. And yes, we still do MQLs. I know that I mentioned that it was a distraction. (laughs) We still use it because it is one of those like, yeah, it's one of my knives in my tool kit, right? I'm, you know, in the kitchen and I still need that knife kind of thing. Which knife would it be? (laughs) Which it knife? The, it's the
0: little one? It's the one for fruit that Yeah,
1: it'd be like the butter knife. <laughs> <laughs> Not the steak knife. No, but really that. So, so yeah. And then, yeah, we obviously use that engagement to add to their score. But then of course, then we do kind of like a campaign attribution thing on the CRM. So we can track if anybody part of that campaign becomes part of an opportunity. But I love that question because I was literally going to go back to opportunity creation with you, Jordy, mm-hmm. in terms of what, what you're hearing from your customers on how do they actually track attribution from the webinars they do with you all the way to opportunity creation. And then maybe, I don't know, if you're able to share some stats, like such and such vendor of this size saw, I don't know, 30% increase in opportunity creation from webinars or something like that. It would be cool to, to hear those stats.
2: Yeah, I think most are using it is first touch, right? So they're all doing a first touch model to try and make sure that they get credit for things. I think when it comes to opportunity creation, most organizations that we work with are fighting over it constantly, you know, to try and figure out who should be, you know, taking credit for this. And I think part of it is like, we've seen some marketers really wrap a lot of training around the leads that they're handing off to SDRs so that they can increase their odds of opportunity creation. So for instance, when they run a program, they will talk to, let's say they're running a webinar program. They will talk to SDR teams or SDR management in advance and say, here's what we're doing. Here's what the messaging is. Here's the deck. Here's the one sheets. Here's the handouts that we're going to use. Here's the polling questions. Here are the follow-up scripts that we recommend you steal something from. Um, and then through all of those pieces, they're able to say, look, we really had an impact on that revenue when it did come through, because look at all the things that we did to help make sure that it went from, you know, MQL to opportunity. And I think that's good. I think it shows, you know, obviously the organization will benefit because everyone will, you know, see an improved level of, of uh, you know, when they call out on those or they follow up on those, they'll be able to speak in an educated way about what it was that the, the prospect did. And that's going to have, and I think that goes beyond just, you know, I saw you downloaded quote unquote, our ebook or whatever, right. You would, but, you know, I think it's more powerful to say, you know, I noticed you mentioned uh, or you filled in a poll or whatever is where you get this information. But we noticed that you indicated that you're backing up, you know, this many terabytes of data per, per week when you attended our webinar on how to protect your data against XYZ. How is that going? Right. I mean, that's a lot better conversation than just did you read it or did you watch the webinar? Mm. So I think that the more some of the really sophisticated marketers that we work with do a lot of pre education work between marketing and sales to make sure that their leads don't die on the vine, that they're credited properly for the work that they put in, and then also that the company wins. They win the deal.
0: Yeah. They actually get ROI from this thing that everyone maligns as a waste of time or, you know, not everyone. Most marketers are doing webinars and believe in webinars and in getting your brand and your story and engaging with an audience. So, but any lead gen mechanism, right? Like a survey, like, I don't know, lead gen forums. Like there's all sorts of ways it sounds like to build like personalization as well as alignment, which is Maria's favorite thing, I think. Sales marketing alignment. To make sure that, like you said, nothing gets forgotten by, by the busy, busy SDRs. We've also had in the past some success having our, even if it's not them doing it personally, but having our speaker do the outreach after the webinar, right? So you maybe have someone...
2: That's a great idea.
0: Yeah, maybe you have someone, you know, you have an SE talking as opposed to an SDR. An SE who knows their chops, knows their tools, their tech stack, just went kind of technical dive. You know, sales is still in the title, but whatever. And mm-hmm. <laughs> they follow up and they have a lot more, I think, a cachet with an audience, especially if that audience just spent 30 minutes with them, listening to them speak.
2: That's a great point. I mean, even on our events, the, the moderators have a better result in terms of getting people to register for something new because people know the moderators. They don't know us as marketers as well. And so when we put things in the moderator's names, it has better success that way too, in terms of attracting registration. Yeah. I think it's a great idea.
1: Jordi, what about topics and... Well, yeah, topics of webinars that you see have the most success on your platform. Is it thought leadership top of funnel? Do folks like to see what's under the hood and they want an actual demo of the platform?
2: So I think this has actually got a few pieces to it. One, it depends on your goals, right? So if you're trying to pack the house because you need to hit a certain number of leads for the quarter to you know fill the pipeline and, and meet your individual metrics, that's fine. The broader you would go in topic, the the more chance that you'll get a larger audience. If you are focused on opportunity creation and needing to go down funnel a lot, then the more niche the topic. So say for instance, you know, folks who are are looking for all about ransomware, right? That's kind of broad. Obviously it's a crappy topic, just. When you think about it, like <laughs> that's pretty broad. That's too broad. But all we about ransomware
1: from A yeah, to Z. All about,
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So that versus how to remediate, you know, ransomware in retail environments, that kind of thing. And you're going to attract the folks who are interested in that, and hopefully sell select out oh, the folks who aren't a fit for that. Now, is it easy to get 200, 400 people for something hyper niche? No, it's it's pretty tough. And the question is: Do you, would you want to, or are you okay with fifty? Or are you okay with a hundred? Where they're exactly the ICP you're looking for, who have the pain that you're talking about on the webinar? You know, I think so. It's it's a it's a balance. You have to find out you know your goals versus with how how broad you go. Hopefully that makes sense.
0: It makes a lot of sense. It's like sometimes it's like you know you hear of this and marketers do it. Sometimes you just need to put an activity in a certain like on a date, yep. like, Oh, we don't have, you know, we don't have anything to do this quarter. Like we need to get some stuff going. Like we can't just sit around on it with our hands under our butts. We need to like go do act- activities and activation. So sometimes it is in some, in some cases, and maybe even if you're doing like a brand thing, which we didn't talk about, you might want more as opposed to less, or you might mm-hmm. want to target, you know, you're doing an ABM play on, you know, 50 retail organizations and you want to try and capture those audiences so it really depends can we can we talk about another controversial topic and i love this topic because i've failed at it every single time i've tried it content syndication i've never done it well (laughs) maria have you done content syndication well you're queen of demand gen so i feel like you you might have
1: Uh, I've had both types of experiences I've had like big massive like wow this is just getting a spam and people like (laughs) submitting crazy things on the demo request form or on the or on the the content form and then I've done other ones where we've gotten some some really good leads and you know I've gotten some opportunities so it depends I guess and of course, yes, it depends on the content and whether it resonates. It depends on the audience. It depends we can't say how strong your brand is. It depends, you know, on your SDRs. You know, it's just like all of these political answers. Like, well, it depends. <laughs> so, so the truth is, is everything depends, right?
0: Like that's like you and me now, like and Geordie, also you're on this podcast too. You we all here know that everything depends, but that doesn't make a good show. So pick a line. Pick pick a controversial opinion now.
1: (laughs) Because uh, I always think like we're always missing something from the strategy, but we have to go forward with it anyway and then hope for the best, right? Like not always, okay, most of the time. So it's either like, well, this is the only gated piece of content that is, you know, kind of good that we could use, whether it resonates or not. Let's just use it because it's all we have. And then, you know, we're pressured to get leads because again old school and all we want is you know what i mean so there's a lot of like different factors that could hinder the success of a content and i don't know any marketer that has that perfect world where everything checks off and they're good
0: yeah jordi what do you think because you also do you also do content syndication yeah do you we offer do. that okay
2: yeah cool. we, like a hundred thousand leads a year or more of content <laughs> so syndication <Jordy's> i think <laughs>
0: Jordan's sort of yeah, just like, but, yeah, I we just do like a bajillion of this actually. And yeah, now, but that's like, not a lot answer, compared to, so. there's a
2: lot of bigger players, bigger players out there, but I, I think that, okay, so I have some thoughts on this. W- one thing, I think it depends on who your company is, and it also depends on who your goals are or what your goals are. So I you know we're back to, it depends, but it really does depend. So, so the... You know, you look at the reviews on G2 for a lot of different content syndication providers, you see the same comments over and over again. My SDRs called the person. They said they didn't recall downloading the asset. Therefore, the company that we worked with to outsource content syndication sucks. you are like, okay, yes, we have done studies with our audience to find out how many pieces of content they are consuming per month. Well over 80% are consuming 10 or more pieces, they say, per month of written content. Really? Are they going to remember yours in particular? Will they admit that they read it because they know where that conversation goes? So there's a few factors there. But I think that the larger your company, there's a halo effect. So let's say that you are Dell, right? Just as an example. And your SDR phones up a a content syndication lead and says, hey, it's Jordy from Dell. Just wondering how you enjoyed our ebook on cloud migration. And their comment is, sure, but you know, while I have you on the phone, we've got an RFP coming up for X, Y, Z, boom, that becomes an our, you know, an opportunity and hopefully gets kicked up the can. And then they go, wow, that content syndication program worked really well. Did it, or did you just happen to call and you had a, you know, a brand that was familiar and they were ready to talk to you versus. So I think there's a lift that happens when you're a larger organization that you don't get when you're a smaller organization, right? Where you have to say, we are pretty small, but hopefully we made it a, you know, a kick butt piece of content and you really enjoyed it. You might get lucky that way. More often than not, you'll find that people don't remember, even if they did read it or they won't admit it to you. However, there are different goals here. One of the goals could be pipeline generation, which I actually think content syndication is not super great for. In general, I think that it's great for building a a list that you can nurture to the point of being of generating pipeline, which gives you a place to start. And but the folks that are picking up the phone and dialing for dollars on ebook downloads, they're going to have a low win rate. And I think that's where a lot of this conversation comes in about we didn't get an ROI, and content syndication sucks, and lead gen sucks, and all that kind of. It's like yeah, but that's depending on how you go to market with it. That's probably to be expected.
0: Right. It's like, we you, did, you, you knew this, right? Like, hello. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. And what, what a lot of organizations do is they look at it as a list building exercise. In some cases, they're like, you know, we're going to build a list of folks that we can nurture and market to over time. And that, you know, gradually after three or four touches, maybe we'll be able to have a conversation with them. Those ones do well. The ones though, that, that immediately call um, on the list before nurturing don't typically do as well. So unless they're big, if they're big, they might get lucky just because everybody knows who they are. And Hey, Jordy from Dell's calling me and, and, you know, we already deal with Dell and so, so on and so forth. So I think there's a role for it to play, but I mean, everybody gets, can get their own zoom info account and pull names right as a list building exercise too. So what you might want to, what you do in some cases get by a benefit through a benefit, a side benefit of working with an outsource partner like us or whatever, where we're doing content syndication to our audience is it's us reaching out with the content as a third party. Whereas maybe they wouldn't have looked at a first party cold email send, but maybe because we have a warmer relationship with them, they will, you know, download the asset and engage. And then, you know, we'll pass those leads along to you for nurture or you can count them as an ABM touch point or whatever you're mm-hmm. doing and you're scoring. Right. So
0: that's true. Yeah.
2: So those are kind of my condensed thoughts <laughs> on contents education.
0: <laughs> there's a, there's a lot more, you know, that could be coming from you, Jordy, on this. I could tell like maybe some expletives.
2: <laughs> no, no, you know, I think it's good. Yeah. I think I think it's good. I think it's it's definitely something that fits into a lot of plans. Yeah. But I do think that you need to nurture what comes from it. And there's different kinds of content syndication. Like if you outsource to a partner that does website widgets, right, with white papers in it, and they run that to their web traffic, the kind of stuff, Maria, that you said that you see in terms of spam entries and all that kind of thing is often because web traffic is messier, dirtier, you know, it doesn't have it doesn't fit cleanly into your, you know, field mapping in Marketo. The, whereas when you get into, you know, email campaigns where a partner is emailing out an offer, they already have a tremendous amount of data about that recipient already. And so they can augment the data and make it nice and clean and fit in well there. And I think that's the other big takeaway is that email invite traffic to Anything, whether it's a, a webinar or an ebook or or whatever, is far cleaner than what comes in off the web. Mm-hmm. And there are different content syndication providers who provide a, who have a different model of how they collect data and where the traffic source comes from. And so you may see a, a variation in quality there, but that should also be reflected in the pricing. The pricing for those leads should be lower.
0: Yeah, yeah, you would hope. All right, everyone, if you're looking to generate quality cybersecurity leads and opportunity pipeline for your sales team, webinars are the channel you need to be leveraging. Lead gen webinars bring you real live audiences in your target ICP with engagement, you can measure something other channels just can't match. Actual Tech, an official lead generation partner of the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, specializes in fully turnkey cybersecurity webinar programs with CPLs far below what you're used to. Everyone, I have spent a lot of money on webinars and lead generation in the past, and I got to say, I was really impressed with Actual Tech. I saw the results of those webinars that they've been running for cybersecurity audiences, and I was impressed with the lead quality and the lead quantity. So visit actualtechmedia.com backslash CMS or hit today's show notes for more information.
1: Let's talk a little bit more. I want to dig into the, the data and how you all use that to I don't know, create audience segments or different email segments for your customer based on the content offer that they're offering from a content syndication perspective. And then Mm -hmm. do you use like engagement data? Do you use intent data to get laser focused? How does that work?
2: Yeah. So you can augment with intent data. The stronger the intent signal, sometimes we find you can use a million platforms for intent data, but oftentimes the really strong stuff the people have already bought so you can back that down a few notches in terms of the strength of the signal oh. so that you're getting... because That's I interesting. Mean, yeah. That's
0: like, well, you know... De-
2: it depends on freshness, right? Like if it depends how fresh the data is. So say, for instance, with the Zoom Info, their intent data, they have two levels of offering. One is, you know, like a weekly signal and the other ones are quote unquote real-time signal. And I'm not sure about Sixth Sense and Bombora and how they're doing it, but often the freshness they'll even tell you the fresher or sorry, the higher the signal the the greater, the chance that they may have already purchased. So anyway, that's off topic, but I thought it was an interesting data point.
1: That's really cool. It's off topic, but that's awesome because I don't think a lot of us think of it that way. We think, you know, the higher the signal, the more likely they are they're out there uh, looking for a vendor. That's actually really interesting. Also
0: off topic, you know that grocery stores compete on freshness. Like most grocery stores are trying to instill the brand. Sorry, this is so off topic. I'm such a piece of garbage on this podcast sometimes. (laughs) 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 Grocery stores, they compete on freshness. That's the brand they want. Every grocery store wants you to think. Now you know.
2: You know what? I'm going to add to that that I okay. did read. Oh wait, you know all that, stuff
0: about grocery stores sell us.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll go we'll go here. Um I did read that I can't remember if it was Fred Meyer or Kroger. I'm Canadian so we don't have these brands, but in oh. in the states the Fred Meyer or Kroger whoever it was uh, determined that putting a fresh fish bar right next to the packaged fish bar would double sales. They sold the same amount of packaged fish but they doubled their sales by selling also fresh fish, so go figure. That's all I have to say about that. I'm not <laughs> sure what the takeaway is. Wait,
0: <laughs> what grocery stores do you have in in Canada? And then we'll get back to content. Okay, oh, this is uh, this is sounding very
1: fishy, you guys. I don't know. <laughs> oh man! please, oh. <laughs> editor, please edit oh, in the bedum. No. no, please don't edit that. And that also, the fish floating. <laughs> Okay, sorry. What we, talking I'm, about?
0: So, we were. I just <laughs> that was very Canadian. Um, okay, we were talking about content syndication, and you were saying there was a fresh list score and a lot of intent data, which is actually really cool to think about. Yeah. Would you think that even in cyber? I mean, I guess most of our lead, most of our, most of our products that we sell are not like sold in a day or sold in a week. I don't know. Yeah. Maria's like doing, shaking her head and nodding, which I don't know what that means. Um, (laughs) So I wonder if that freshness score is anything like maybe if we can rely on it. I don't know. Anyway. So content syndication.
2: But with segments, I think back to your question about segments. So segmenting by install base, that's a good one right? Who's running Oracle, who's running, you know, Veeam, who's running any particular platform. Um, If you're a partner of those technologies, and you're trying to sell into that ecosystem, that install based data is going to be really interesting for you. When it comes to intent, I think it's really powerful to just ask people, are you in market? So for instance, on the, the reg form, right? So like, you know, are you currently in market? Most won't tell you, but some will, you know, and you can, even build that into a drip sequence, right? So you can send, choose uh, on the landing page, choose your own adventure. If you're currently not in market, go here. If you're currently in market, access these resources and then watch people fork themselves off into each individual bucket for you, right? That's real intent. That's not just, I visited an article about uh, ransomware. This is like, I'm, I'm a big fan of choose your own adventure type. Legion. I love that. But of course the volumes go down. The volumes go down when you do that, right though. And so people then, well, if I can't get 600 people who said and chose that path, what's the point of doing it? And it's like, yeah, but when you look at the funnel and you look at how things actually shake out at the end of the day, you close six out of 2,500 leads that came in during the quarter. So yeah, the six matter, get those people and market to them differently than you would you know and and this is not new i mean this comes this is the splitting the funnel concept and all that kind of stuff but i think as you go down market you definitely need to realize you're going to run into less volume but that's where the gold is not everybody's out there to buy
1: yeah but a lot of people are pivoting to that mindset i mean you said it pre covid post covid mm. Nobody's going for the volume anymore. Everybody's going for what's really likely to turn into an opportunity. And that's actually an amazing tactic to do that digitally. And I think you can also do, we can also do that on our own landing pages, right? Um, you know, across certain assets. I love that. I'm stealing it. Thank yeah.
2: you. There's an amazing book actually about this. There was a company, I think it was called Ion Interactive and the guy, they, they sort of pioneered messaging around, the choose-your-own-adventure segmentation-style uh, digital flows. And they wrote a book called Honest Seduction, which, whatever, I guess it was <laughs> provocative. But anyway, it but it was an excellent book in terms of talking about how to get people to tell you what it is that they're interested in and what their intent is, what their pains are, all of this kind of stuff so that you could present them with a customized journey that would better reflect that. So I highly recommend that book. I think the guy's name was Scott Brinker something like that.
1: So Jordi, content syndication we covered, webinars we covered, you shared some really, really cool tactics and ideas that we could optimize either of those channels. I did see that you just rolled out a new sort of product and service uh, virtual roundtables. I don't know if I'm naming it correctly, Mm -hmm. uh, but talk to us a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah. For a long time, our clients have asked us for something a little more down funnel. They needed those numbers and they needed, you know, like a lot of our Webinars will bring in, you know, 800 to 1200 leads and that's great. And, you know, there's gold in there, but they also wanted something that was a little more down funnel. So we just went out to the audience and asked who's in the market for IAM or who's in the market for endpoint security solutions. Let us know who you are, what your budget is, what your uh, org size is, et cetera, all the usual ICP stuff. And we're going to put together an event online and we're going to bring in several vendors back to back and let them present you know, you'll go from zoom room to zoom room while they pitch you and you get to ask questions in a small environment. So say six to eight people in a room. Because so you get more than that, then people don't feel comfortable asking questions. But uh, the ones Yeah, so keeping it small and that we actually did that the first time not too long ago, on data protection. And it went extremely well, like in, in a small environment with cameras on people will share a little bit more than they would on a webinar environment and so you know and of course the vendor that's coming on knows that who everybody who's there is actually in market and a lot about their environment before they come on so the vendors that did well on that brought in an SME as well as a sales rep to present and the sales rep loved it because they got to sit in and do three meetings back to back with six buyers at a time and the SMEs loved it because they got to answer questions and Oftentimes the sales reps and the SMEs work closely together and they really enjoy working together um, on a sort of four-legged sales call basis. And anyway, I'm kind of rambling here, but it, it worked out well. And we think it might help people get a little closer to some down funnel stuff if they need pipeline like now.
0: And now for another content tip from our partner, Content Workshop. David, what do you say to people who thinks that storytelling in cybersecurity is too hard to do.
2: I tell them that storytelling is industry agnostic. Humans are biologically hardwired to think, remember, and relate in the form of story. It's why we're able to binge a new show for eight hours a night. It's also why the best commercials don't feel like commercials. A good story, they say in advertising, is truth well told. No matter your industry, service, or product, there are endless ways to tell your story. All you need is a hero, a goal, and an obstacle. And we help cybersecurity companies achieve that.
0: Thanks, David. Learn more about Content Workshop storytelling services for cybersecurity companies at contentworkshop.com. You know, I'm always surprised that this is something, I be, like, I totally believe it now, but I, I was always surprised that this is something that people, like, want, right? Like, I would like to be in three back-to-back sales calls about products right and i'm the buyer but if you are buying a solution and buying a product it's so convenient it's so mm-hmm. like easy and you get to just like probably grill the companies which is always fun it's always fun to grill the vendor that you're looking at yep. and and you're with other people and you can all grill them together and i also i had um Mary Yang told us this. Mary Yang, CMO of Sixth Sense, so I'm totally name dropping her. Not Six Cents, the ABM tool, Sixth Cents, the security company. She had said a while ago that like a tactic that she had done before that buyers love is getting all your competitors. Like if you're at a large event, getting all your competitors together, together with you and doing like a demo showcase, basically, which mm-hmm. is like, and you hate that. As a marketer, you like hate that. You're like, I despise this concept. Like they're my enemy, even though it's just business. Who cares? But buyers love it. Buyers love easy access and like looking under the hood and being able to conveniently, which is what like these roundtable webinars probably, you know, provide, like conveniently look at some solutions all in a row. So they they could just apples to apples compare. And like.
2: Yeah, and that's why that's why we created the MegaCast and EcoCast and and virtual summit series of webinars that we do, where we bring the vendors in, but we get them to present back to back instead of in a round table format on those larger ones. Mm. Um, and nobody's allowed to slam the other. You know, they're not allowed <laughs> to directly reference a competitor by name, which keeps everything civil. Audiences hate that. They really? hate when oh yeah they hate when competitors go into bash mode on each other because it's not a productive conversation. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, doing those back to back with you know 6 8 12 vendors which we've done like 7 hours like bang 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 and they're like great. Now I don't have to go to a trade show. Now I don't have to, you know, travel to get demos of each of these products in a back to back basis. We thought at the beginning when we started doing them we did one quarter Now we're doing one a week and the demand has not died off. And in fact, this is another point that I want to make just about webinars that I think just might be an interesting data point. We are not seeing webinar audiences drop off. So everybody's like webinar fatigue, fatigue. Mm, We're not seeing it. And yeah. So I don't know if that just means we do a really good job of it or if, you know, we've got the right topic mix which I think obviously probably has a lot to do with it, but I don't think that the fatigue issue is, is a huge problem. Anyway, that's – get off my soapbox on that one.
0: Maria was vigorously nodding her head.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that there is fatigue. I mean, a lot of people still work from home, even though we can now return to the office, which means you have maybe a little extra time uh, since you're not commuting two hours to actually sit through more webinars to learn. Everybody still wants to learn. And in cybersecurity, we I mean they're always challenged with the next new threat and the next uh, you know um, challenge in 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 making sure, you know, their security posture is is always strong. So there's always something to learn. So uh, yeah, I would agree with you.
2: I was just looking up here it is. We had some data points and I was just thought this might be interesting for cybersecurity folks who have multiple responsibilities inside an organization. So I don't, obviously there's a lot of people who that's just what they do is InfoSec, but we talked to our audience and we said, how many roles or hats are you currently wearing inside your organization? 39% were wearing one hat, 29% were wearing two to four hats, and then 31% were wearing more than five in their organization. So obviously this will skew to where, you know, the smaller organizations are gonna have people who are responsible for more stuff. But I think this is actually a really important data point that, you know, when you're talking to people, that this is not all they do, right? And to try and speak to them and imagine being that person and what it feels like to have that many jobs to do or that many areas of responsibility that you're on the hook for. Of course we all want to speak to the CISO and that's great, but there's a lot of folks out there who've got to be drowning, and the more information that we can bring them in a succinct way, the better they're they're going to do. And I think they'll that'll continue to have high value for them.
0: Awesome, that's true. How can we? It's not about us and how cool we are. It's not about how awesome our products are and how our founders are so cool. Our founders are cool. You know, it's not about that. It's about um, helping people be able to do their jobs better to keep the companies, organizations, and country safe and all of us safe too. So it's a cool industry to be in. Well, I think, Jordy, it's time for our game. <laughs> we are going to end with a bang. We are going to play a game.
1: The game is, Maria, do you want to explain the game? Sure. So both Jana and I will take turns in guessing what you would be doing career-wise if you weren't a CMO at Actual Tech today. Uh, and so we'll call it CMO at, in cybersecurity because technically you you pretty much are, right? Just a different vendor type. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Pretend, and, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then you, and then you'll then you tell us how horrible we did or whoever was closest to what you would actually be. or what you dream to do if this isn't, oh. isn't your dream career. I think that's probably the best, best way to word it. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And the rules right. are we can't. You'll never
2: anything.
1: guess. Yeah. No, we're gonna guess. <laughs> Surprise! And the rules are we can't guess what you've done previously, right? So we can't look at your LinkedIn and be like, "Whoa, he's done, you know, public speaking," and he's, uh, I don't know.
0: Jordi, have you had any secret career that you've hidden from us on this call? Have you were you like a restaurateur, and we don't know about it?
2: Besides working at Dairy Queen, uh. no. Um, <laughs> we're not talking teenage careers, okay? No. Um, I think. And no, I haven't had any uh, mystery careers. Everything has been marketing from and sales. So I used to work at, uh, in infrastructure sales, which had a huge benefit in understanding tech, which cool. then translated over to marketing. So, yeah.
1: Okay. All right. Who wants to go first? You go first. Sometimes right. I, I feel like whoever goes first gets better luck. So I'll give you this one since you've been losing a lot lately.
0: I have lost almost every... Every game for 2023, and it is nine months in. So it's been a great streak for me. I should buy a lottery ticket. So, Jordy, I happen to have had one extra phone call with you, and therefore I know slightly more about you. Ooh. And I know Come that on. you're. <laughs> I'm. I'm gonna mind the dregs of any conversation, anything I know. So, you mentioned liking choose your own adventure. You mentioned camping. You're going camping, camping is fun. You live in Canada. Canada has supermarkets. All of these are combining to being you would open a knockoff version of Meow Wolf's grocery store exhibition that's currently in Las Vegas. You would open one in Canada and and it would it would be called like Bark cat or something and you would manage that. And the reason all those things I just said combine is because grocery store of which I totally want to keep asking more questions about grocery stores, grocery store and like a dungeons, like you're a dragon, like a dungeons and dragons, like master, if you own one of these things, because it's basically a really cool, like in-person exhibit where it's a grocery store, but it's in another dimension. So there's all these secrets and people go in and explore and I hope that made sense to the listeners who have no idea what the heck Meow Wolf is, and also to you, Jordy, because I have no idea if you know what Never that
2: is. Never heard of it. Oh, oh that's, God. That's I'm fine.
1: definitely going to lose. you yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you lost me there. That oh, oh, sounds amazing. Uh, I lost everyone. Oh. All I can think of is, <sighs> gosh, as a busy mom and oh. wanting to be in and out of the grocery store to get what I need. This sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> It's like an art. It's like an experiential
0: art exhibit, and I just think you would take that concept and put it in into the 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 Great North where you okay. live.
2: Okay, with fresh fish.
1: Yeah. Fresh. Yeah. Okay, my turn. Jordy, you give me this calm, I don't know, patient like sort of vibe, uh, and that makes me immediately think elementary school teacher. Uh, because gosh, those people are heroes and they probably need all the patience in the world to deal with elementary school kids. So I'm going to say you're a teacher or you would be teaching. What, what are you waving at? I'm, I do. I'm raising my <laughs> hands
0: because I would like to request a do-over for my answer. Nope. nope. Please. Can, no. Okay, I'm t- going t- to t- talk t- over Maria. <laughs> so I would like... I'm going to pull, look, Marie, you've won this whole freaking season Fine. of 2023. Fine. Okay. Fine. So <laughs> I'm going to simplify what I said. Jordy, you have a very calm demeanor. Um, so <laughs> I think you would be a Dungeons and Dragons master, which, which just simplifies what I said. Okay.
1: So how horrible did <laughs> we both
2: do? You're both pretty far off, actually. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> we
0: told you we'd win and then we'd secretly like deduce it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he did say we'd never guess. So yeah. now I'm very curious. Okay, Jordy, w- what would you be doing today? What's your dream job?
2: If I wasn't doing this, I'd probably be in a sales role, I think.
1: No, you can't choose super sales. Super
2: boring. I can't choose sales?
1: No, but that's what he likes. I mean, you can't. Tell. <sighs> Fine, but
0: neither of yeah. us could guess sales because you were in sales. Yeah. So. All
2: right.
1: Hmm. You, well, I, mean, you I have would, you would be doing, thought about this. You really? would be doing sales if you were a game master, and then you probably would technically be doing sales if you were a teacher trying to convince the kids to pay attention to what you're trying to teach them. So, I mean.
0: Yeah, and you'd be um, selling them, like, it, if it. SaaS solutions, too the four-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. there was, there's no crazy, like, you, first off, congratulations, Jordy, for loving your job this whole time, exactly. because like, kudos to you. <laughs>
2: well, yeah.
0: If there was anything in the world that you could be doing, we're like going to drag this out of you. If there was anything in the world that you could be doing and it couldn't be sales, what would it be?
2: I think I'd probably be a laborer from my wife's garden. I think that's probably for the most part, she's got a lot of projects on the go out there. And I think I could help with that by just moving things from here to there. I think it'd be pretty good. I like
1: That's so cool.
2: Just spending a time outside and yeah, and sort of watching her do amazing things in the back. So there you go. I think that that would be my preference.
1: Love that. We like that better than sales. We like that answer better. Thank you. Me too.
2: Yeah, now that I think about it, I think that works.
1: <laughs> so, which of us won?
2: Uh you know, I'm not big on Dungeons and Dragons stuff like that. In fact, even board games.
0: You're like, you like know, a fan. You're those- like offended. You're like, why did you think of that?
2: <laughs> when people you're come like- out, yeah. When people come out with the cards and the board games uh, after dinner, I get a deer in headlights look. So, I, I think probably Maria. I'd be close. Be closer.
1: Thank you. Thank for you sure.
0: Right
2: Thank you. <laughs> Nicely done. Slow clap. Gianna, maybe next time.
0: Oh, God. It'll never be for me next time. I'm just. <laughs> Although my wife did
2: look at your profile, Gianna, and she said, bees. She likes bees, too. I do like and bees. And I said, yeah. Yeah. So that's I cool. should have said that. I think should've we have said that beekeeper. in common. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Well, Jordy, thank you for being on this episode. We were a little, I think, more rambunctious than usual, and we had a lot of fun. How can people reach out to you and like learn more about you and what you do? Actual tech media if they choose. Where where do people find you?
2: Yeah, for sure. So obviously we're a lead gen sponsor for uh, the Cyber Security Marketing Society. So you can reach us at actualtechmediacom CMS. Uh, for everything about that um, I also have a podcast tech marketer live that you can find on at actualtechmedia.com and uh, subscribe there and we talk to all kinds of, I think we have to talk to both of you now I think we have to flip flip things around and yeah. interview you guys as, as well, well. Love that. so we'll, and we'll on LinkedIn. The...
1: thank you yeah we'd love to come on and bring the controversial topics and tech marketing
2: we'll see who we can tick off yeah <laughs>
1: All right. Well, thanks everyone for
0: listening to this week's episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. If you want to be on the show, send a note to podcasts at cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com. Long URL, but get you there. I hope we both hope to see you. All, actually, all three of us hope to see you in Austin in December. Come to Cyber Marketing Con. We currently have 200 people registered. So come and be our 201st, our 300th, our 400th friend in cybersecurity marketing. Uh, We can't wait to see you there. And, of course, leave us a review. If you love this episode, to be clear, Uh, leave us a review, a five, six, seven star review. Give us a, a nice comment if you choose. It really helps a lot. And we'll see you next week, next Wednesday. Thanks, everyone.
2: Bye, everybody.